All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever podcast. We've got some familiar faces for you guys once again this week. Um, as always, I'm Noah. I've got Jake alongside me here, and we are back with Colby, and he's on the line today. We don't have him here in the studio. We've got him, we got him on video today. How you doing, Colby? Guys, what's happening? <laughs> No, it's uh, you know, we're still just trying to get through the um, the the cold months here, and I swear every week there's just another snowstorm that comes through, and as soon as you think it's all melted and everything's gonna be on the up and up, and we're gonna be fishing here in no time, then there's another big snowstorm, and it all just comes crashing back down on us. But we're getting through this, this winter. And as uh, this winter's been about as bipolar as Mother Nature can be, it just up and down roller coaster between, like you said, we get a snowstorm and then it's 45 degrees and then stuff's melting and then we get a snowstorm and then it's 45 degrees a couple days later. It's just back and forth, back and forth, can't win, can't break out of it, doesn't know what it wants to do. It'd be nice if we could just get a hard stop on winter like march 1st every year that that would be great oh yeah i would be all in for that well the worst part is it it rains and snows and storms every thursday friday so then your weekend's shot because it's just cold and snowy all weekend so that's the worst part about it yep yeah a lot of thursday friday snowstorms yeah for sure which is gonna happen this thursday friday again so right we were talking maybe do a little (laughs) shed hunting this weekend and and it's like, oh, I don't know. We might just stay in and watch basketball and just really put some miles on next weekend and hope, just really hope that we don't <laughs> have another Thursday, Friday snowstorm or rain or whatever. We had so much water there for a while in some spots. You also, you'd have six, eight inches of water. You couldn't walk through anything to yeah. try and find sheds or do any sort of scouting or anything like that. But we'll get through it. We're hopefully, hopefully on the home stretch here. It's going to be April before you know it, and then we'll be in pretty good shape. But Hoping to sneak in one last ice fishing trip this weekend, and now this weather's uh, putting a damper on that. The family, we were going to go up to, to Rhinelander to visit the brother and sister-in-law and take uh, the kids and the cousins out and chase some crappies, but we are going to go up there Thursday night into Friday, and now that weather just looks not fun to drive no, three no. hours into an <laughs> hour drive a five hour drive and and they got enough snow up there already so uh, it's already kind of a hassle getting on the lake so i don't know it might put the whole kibosh on the plans and might just put the ice fishing gear away for the year it's never a good day no but like jake walked in today and we've got the boat in the garage <laughs> so my dad is ready he's ready to just be out on the open water and probably going to be hitting De Pere before too long the next couple of weeks. The Last weekend they were up there, so. annihilated yeah. two weekends ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty much here, but you know, aside from all of that stuff, and then before you know it, it'll be turkey hunting, but I think today we just kind of want to talk about why this time of year, you know, you could talk about March specifically, but even just this sort of springtime when the snow starts to melt, it gets to be a really, really good time to scout for deer. And sometimes, I mean, you could even possibly make an argument that it could be one of, if not the best time of the year to get some scouting done. And 
work that you put in right now could really lead to some success in the fall. Wouldn't you agree, Colby? Yeah, I, I wrote an article for us about this being the absolute best time of the year to scout, and I do truly believe that. Um, and just the way the weather's working, it, it might be the back half of March this year into April because we're still, at least in Wisconsin here, sitting on a lot of snow um, and stuff. But whenever this snow melts, typically, you know, March time period, and you're still de dealing with that bare bare ground or freshly melted snow, everything kind of looks like it did when you put the bows and the rifles and stuff away back in November and December. Um, you can see. Oh boy. Did we lose them? You can see trails. Like everything just looks just like it did during the rut in November, except now you can go everywhere and you don't care about spooking deer or blowing stuff out. Um, the season's a good six months away. So you can literally walk all over your property um, and see what you maybe were missing from this last fall. So it's a great time of year to get out there. Yeah, 100%. We, um, we've tried to do a little bit of shed hunting <laughs> this year. Um, specifically, we went, me and Jake and my dad, and we brought – our dog and he's not a shed dog by any means he uh, but he he just likes to go out run around <laughs> whatever so we we all went out and we were on a, a new property one that i've talked to you a little bit about colby um one that i don't necessarily have permission to hunt on yet but i've got permission to be there and walk around and shed hunt and put trail cameras up all that kind of stuff we're good on all that just not quite to the point of permission to hunt but we're still working on it but we were walking around that property and, you know, like you laid out in your article and you can really see a lot of, a lot of the scrapes that were there. We, we saw a couple of those and the, just this past year, we've really started to put up our own like mock scrapes and those have been working pretty good. But these were ones that were just set up by nature. Yeah. You stumble across them and like four of them, four or five different ones. Yep. And they were worked heavily. Yeah. And you, I never seen that. And I was like, uh, wow like usually i don't see the right. um, ones that are just there in general but there's a ton of vines just hanging there just tore up yep you just see a, a spot on the ground because we're looking for sheds down low and you see a spot that's all tore up and then you look a little bit above it and sure enough there's a branch or a vine or something hanging right there and so those are are all super visible um all the rubs obviously you can see all that and a lot of the trail systems too so i mean it, it can really like you said, kind of give you that snapshot of the way the woods looked back in November. Well, it's just, it's different than the summer. Like if you don't go out until, you know, let's say July or you know June, July or August, like with all the green up, a lot of those trails and those old scrapes from last year, they might be there yet, but they're covered up. And unless you stumble like right on them, they're tough to see. Whereas like, right now when that ground is bare and you can easily look to your left and your right and see 50 60 75 yards you can see that thing that stuff from a distance um you can cover ground that much faster because you can tell where there is nothing um you can just you can really move and cover a lot of ground and get to spots you know that you want to get to and, and uh it's just a there's other advantages too, like just temperature wise, right? Like we're talking, you know, 30, 40, 50 degrees usually here in March, like 
about covering ground. You're not going to get as tired as fast. Like, you know, it's cooler out. You can usually throw on a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt and, and go all day long like that. It's not like it's uh, July when, of course, the day you pick to go scouting, it's always got to be like 88 and humid and muggy <laughs> yep. and nasty. You know, we've been there plenty of days where you got this long laundry list of places you want to scout and you get about down to bullet point three and you're already exhausted and you know you're not getting all your stuff just because of how, you know, warm and nasty it is outside. But you go out there in March when it's, you know, a very comfortable 50 degrees or 40 degrees, you can go all day long right out there and you're not swatting mosquitoes not worrying about ticks yet uh i know switch you're, you're a fan of ticks so <laughs> not a uh, tick fan <laughs> but you don't need to worry about that stuff yet uh which is always a bonus you know uh there's nothing worse than you know 88 degrees humid sweating and then also being covered in a nice thick layer of deep so yes you can keep the skeeters you know yeah, I love that stuff. I I got, <laughs> we've got some stuff. I'm not even sure if it's street legal to be honest with you. It's like 98.25% DEET. Usually, a lot of the stuff that you see is like you know, it'll be 10, 15, 25%, 35% maybe. But this stuff is 98.25%. I don't know how we got it. I mean, you you'd be better off just dumping diesel all over you and yeah. Walking around with that it's, probably. It's nasty stuff. It's it's no good, but it does the trick. If you want to keep the bugs away, that's the stuff that you got to go with. Because like you said, some of those spots in the summer can just be so thick. I mean, forget trying to see 50, 60 yards away from you. You can't see hardly 10, 15 feet in front of you. You got no. grass that's way up yeah. here. Or you got branches that are full of leaves. I mean, it can get really, really yeah, tough to see. Frick by a raspberry bush. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Like stuff. Yeah, it just ends up cussing under your breath quite a bit some some of those days for sure. <laughs> but all the stuff that's going wrong. Well, when we were out at the place we were hunting, shed hunting by you, I mean, it was only like 35, maybe 40 degrees, but the sun was out and there was no wind. Oh, man, it, it felt like 55, 60 out. I mean, it was awesome. Yep. And you know I love that. That is my favorite right. thing. And we didn't find any sheds, but tons of sign and – um found that i found a turtle shell that was like like a foot and almost two feet probably it was, big wide. It was huge and um we also found or you found that this tom or saw this tom turkey which was crazy to me it was that it was like there was a tree that tipped over and he was kind of like underneath where it tipped over so it kind of made a crater in the roots and stuff and he was just like hunkered down in there and i was up with remy his dog and he's like noah called me over there so i we go over there and I'm holding on to Remy because he's like, there's a turkey over there. And sure enough, this Tom's just sitting right there. And we're 10 feet from it, 10 yards from it. I have no idea what it was doing. So then I was like, well, you better walk a little closer and see if it's hurt or something. And so we, he kind of walked around and I stayed there. And it just, it kind of, it didn't want to leave, really. No. And it finally just got up, kind of ran a little bit and flew. Like nothing was wrong with it. Yeah, I was looking, sitting there looking around for sheds. And all of a sudden, just kind of look down and off to the the right and i see what appears to be a turkey and then i kind of take a couple steps look around at it. yeah that's definitely a turkey and remy just blazed right past <laughs> it i mean he can't smell anything so he doesn't know what's there but i'm thinking okay well it's got to be hurt because you yeah. would think that would have just scampered away or something and then i didn't want him to go once i saw it if he sees it he'll just go after it so I didn't want him to go after it and then it's hurt. It's going to try and defend itself, just spur him a whole bunch of times or something. But 
no, you, you just held on to him and we kind of got a little closer and then all of a sudden it just hopped up like healthy as can be and then it flew off and... And this is at like one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it like, was the strangest just, thing. Yeah. Bizarre. It saw the dog and everything. And Yeah, we... Yeah. Remy and I walked in front of Noah and we were probably 10 yards from it. Just walking, talking normal. We walked right past him and Noah walked almost past it and then he called us back and yeah. <laughs> didn't even care. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was the weirdest thing. It was we could have just kept walking and it never would have come back. It it never would have known the difference. No. So, yeah, I don't know, but it's also great if you can like hit that slot perfectly where there's like no snow and it's not too hot and it's not buggy yet because then all of the things that could bother you while you're out having a nice peaceful walk, shed hunting, looking for sign whatever like it's all gone you just Mm -hmm. have the the perfect setup there where you can just go and there's nothing to bother you and that's pretty much exactly what we hit there yeah that was sweet i don't know if we've got some troubles here with colby might be a little froze but we'll get jake to be kind of Uh working that out we'll get him back but he's joining it's tough man it's the out in the country you've got just some weird there we go. Wi-Fi stuff going on. He's back. He's back. We're not worried about I'm it. Sorry. No, you're good. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, see if I can make this work. Oh, it's all good. I, I don't know how much of it. What's up? My phone was getting too warm or something. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know how much of that you heard, but we were just saying if you can really hit that perfect slot there where there's no snow like or the majority of it's melted but then you also don't have those high temperatures you don't have the bugs you pretty much eliminated like all of the things that might kind of harass you while you're trying to have a nice walk through the woods and shed hunt or scout or whatever like if you can just hit that perfect little bit of time there maybe maybe you get a month maybe might just be a couple weekends here and there where you don't have any snow, you don't have any bugs, the temperature is perfect, and then it's just like it's magical. It's as good as you could ever ask for. It's best time of year, man. That's what I'm telling you. It's uh, a lot of people aren't thinking whitetails this time of year because they're, you know, season's six months away and everyone's gearing up for spring fishing or turkey hunting and stuff like that. But it is really one of the best times to be out there. Uh, for all the reasons that we've been we've been talking about, and we haven't even really you know touched on what what you're looking for or, or what sign you don't see and stuff like that, but just like you said everything looks like it did when you left the woods in November or December, except uh, now you can go investigate. Man, I you know back back during the season, you're you're asking yourself, man, why are them deer coming from over there, or how come last year they took this trail and this year they're 60 yards over? Well going to go bust in there in season in most cases um you know i know some public land guys are doing that but a lot of private land hunters you know you're you're staying back and and sticking to your stands and not walking all over your property well now is the time to go walking all over your property yep um six months away who cares if you blow a deer up um but if you're all of a sudden waiting until the end of july august like do you want to be walking all over your property and busting deer out like i don't know that you do yeah 
So now's the time where you can just totally be carefree and literally put boots on the ground and step on every part of your property and not worry about sanctuaries or, you know, busting bucks out or kicking deer to the neighbors or anything like that. So, yeah, I agree. Try with some, that. Lay I mean... some boots up. Exercise is good anyway. We've been sitting on our butt a lot in the winter, right? A lot more time indoors. Like, it's just good to be outside walking around, bust out of that cabin fever and, and, uh, get some fresh air and more about your property. I mean, yeah. we've been, we try to make a, a spring scouting trip every year and we're hunting, you know, roughly 180 to 200 acres of private land. And it for 16, 17 years now, and it feels like there's still our places on that property that we haven't touched. Um, and we do this every year. So just, you can always learn something. You can always learn something because if there's one thing about whitetails, it's, you know, never always and never. They're always changing, adapting, whatever. Just because they did something last year or two years ago, three years ago, it doesn't mean that they're going to do it next year. Um, you got to kind of figure out different changes that are happening. You know, woods don't stay the same. That woods that we hunt isn't the same as it was 17 years ago when we hunted it. Different areas thicken up. Um, storms come through. Uh, knock trees down, thicken areas up, make areas impassable, even for deer. Um, and you got to learn about that and because those things affect how deer move on your property. Um, you know, up at our cabin in the central part of Wisconsin, half a dozen to 10 years ago, a tornado ripped through our neighbor's property and twisted everything all up and made a lot of areas impassable. And man, that affected how deer moved even onto our property so uh things are always changing out there so you got to just kind of you always got to be on top of it always be scouting and always learning your what's going on with your property i, I would agree with that a lot and um well two weekends ago <laughs> i was i was like oh man there's not a lot of snow where we live i'm like this is perfect i mean j the fields are bare and everything so i i started making the drive and it's i'm about an hour like 60 miles to the west, straight west of where I live. And I get there and about halfway there and there's a lot more snow popping up and a lot more snow popping up. And then I get to <laughs> where, where we hunt and there's like six inches of snow still in the woods. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to turn around. So made the best of it. And even in the winter, you can still see a ton of, um, there's tons of tracks, like trails yep. that major highways going through there. And, uh, you can kind of get a lot of scouting done in a quick amount of time because you go, okay, well, they're there, 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 and there. And, um, but it's that a little off topic, but I agree that they, the woods don't hunt the same as you, the longer you hunt them, things change and patterns of deer, uh, do different things. Trees fall over and just a simple tree falling over in their trail could totally send them a completely different way than they normally have been going for 10 years. So. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it can be path of least resistance, too. Like, you can have deer consistently for five, ten years using the same trail, and then they're coming past your stand, and all of a sudden, last year, what in the world? They're all going, like, 60, 70 yards away. Like, what happened? And then you go spring scout, and like you said, 70 yards away, a tree fell down, blocked that trail, and made them adjust, and now they're going past your stand at 60 yards. But if you don't go scout that, and see that like you're just going to go back and sit in the old, same old stand next year and again those deer are going to be 60 70 yards away and you're going to go what is going on um where you you could have seen that 
doing some spring scouting, um, adjusted your set and be right back in the ball game. So. Mm-hmm. And just to reiterate too, I don't think we've ever come across any real evidence to suggest that when you're blowing through all of these sanctuary areas or setting foot on every you know square inch of your property that you're spooking away next year's target bucks. I mean, you know, I, a lot of people agree that that's the case, but I think still you're going to have people who are maybe skeptical about that to some degree, but like, I don't really just, know how you'd prove that, but like we've never had any problem with it. And there's, it's so there's no pressure. They're not, they're not used to anybody even coming near you. Like you are during deer season in the months prior, like July and August when you're out there checking cameras and stuff and there's more pressure. It's hasn't been touched for, two three four months at this point now and right so they don't know any difference they just see something they don't like or don't they smell something they don't like they get out of there they come back later and they just continue on with their <laughs> their life so yeah i mean i don't think they're even in the same mindset mental, yeah. yeah state of mind as they are during hunting season you know you don't if you are sitting out there watching deer move through the woods in the winter you don't really see them sneaking around as much i mean obviously there's still going to be like weary of any predators or or whatever but you know they're herded up they're living in different areas traveling in different areas like i I just think it's a totally different pattern altogether totally different mindset and we've had bucks you know one of the first years that we really hit that property hard to shed hunt it was the year that we found blade runners Mm -hmm. matching set and we found uh, freaks matching set and both of them were back the next year mm-hmm. so in the exact I, I same mean, i mean i killed them 25 30 yards from where we found the shed where, so right it's so kinda like, at this point there's you would have to i mean you said how do you prove it you would probably have to have bucks through a number of years and a number of repeated times where you're like okay they're here all along and then i go walking through I know I bumped deer out of this spot and then next year they don't come back. But even then, like that, that could be a stretch. So I I get that it might be a little bit difficult to, to prove that there, but I just, at this point, I have not seen any sort of evidence to say that you shouldn't be going through all of those areas right now. I think now is exactly when you should be going through because not only can you determine where some of those areas might be, but you can kind of determine why, those areas might be a place that they consider a sanctuary why that certain place is where they like to bed or or whatever and then you know beyond that you you can keep going well you can say well all right if this is where they like to be what are some of the things that make up this area what what are some of the trees that are here the grasses like what does this area look like and then what does it look like on a map and then maybe you can take that to some mobile scouting and say okay what other areas on this map on public land or if you're looking at private land that you might want to try to get permission on what other places look like this and you know there's a lot of ways that you can really use that to your advantage and i really haven't seen any real disadvantages to going and, and blowing up those spots no i i actually to be honest i wouldn't mind at all kicking a big buck well you probably won't be able to tell he's a big buck um because they don't have horns right now but you might be able to tell by body size but i like kicking deer out this time of year because then you can go exactly to their bed yep you just kick them out and you can go literally like when we find beds this time of year like you 
again, you don't care about the pressure you're putting on them. So you like, we literally will go sit in them. And we're not curling up in a ball. And just why are they here? Like, what is their vantage point? What can they see? When do you think they're using it? And you got to be careful sometimes of what you find like this time of year, because it isn't always translative to the fall. Sometimes like this time of year, they are betting in proximity to food because right now it's all about survival and food. Right. Yep. And the, the human pressure is gone. So that's kind of out of it, but you, you kind of got to analyze like, okay, like why are they here? Why would they be here? Um, what can they see? But you do have to be careful about, is this a winter bedding spot or is this, you know, something they're going to use in the fall? Um, but it's crazy sometimes where you find these beds and you're like, oh, they can watch us walk in from here. Or, you know, they can they can see just enough down to see that access road to see if someone's walking up on it. Or, you know, they're bedded closer to a field edge than you would ever think because they can look over that field with the wind at their back and see approaching danger come to them. It's, it's been kind of crazy to find some of these spots and then have to like think about your access points because of where deer might be sitting and how many times they can see you before you're even halfway to your tree and then you wonder why you didn't see anything that night. Yeah, sometimes scouting this time of year can reveal those those times when you're sitting up in your tree stand and you blew deer out on your walk in and you're like, how in the world Am I blowing deer out? I thought this was the perfect way in. I just don't understand it. And then you go and scout that area this time of year and you could potentially start to understand it pretty quick because you start to put some of these things together and it can be pretty easy this time of year just with all the conditions, the lack of snow, the the snapshot that it gives you from November, the lack of leaves. Like You can tell pretty quickly why these certain spots might be holding deer and why they might be betting there yeah and it can work like equally both ways like you might find a dynamite spot that you want to like dive further into and be more aggressive and get on top of these bedding areas more but on the same token we've also like backed stuff way off because we realized we were pushing in too far and we a lot of times i think we were pushing deer out without even knowing it before we got to our tree stands and just by, you know, scouting in the spring and finding where some of these beds are, we're like, oh, like we're pushing in too close. And we didn't even realize this was a bedding area, this slight little knob over here or just different, you know, change in terrain. We got to back off 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 yards or whatever and let those deer come to us versus like, you know, pushing in on them and blowing them out of there and then wondering why we're not seeing anything. So it's worked kind of both ways as well. You kind of got to read each situation, right? Yeah, exactly. So you brought up something there um, about the difference between like spring or or like fall and winter, like the different seasons, deer are going to have different patterns. Obviously they're going to be bedding in different areas. So what, what's your take on, on that? When you go to a spot and you see that deer are bedding there, this time of year being that it's the winter how much of that can you count on that they're also going to be there in the fall 
or what are some of the things that you might look at and say, eh, I bet this is probably just a winter spot, might not be a good spot in the fall? Uh, yeah, boy, we, we really see a lot of various bedding in the hills down, you know, in western Wisconsin. Um, I'll just kind of take you what we see, like, throughout the season. Like, early season, summer bedding, the first part of Oh, did we lose him again? Uh-oh. No, Colby. Oh, we've lost him. Why did it? Oh, our connection. I don't know. We, we've we got all kinds of goofy stuff going on. It's, oh, my gosh. What can you say? You know, this is just a low-budget production. <laughs> I mean, just a couple of goobers running this channel. <coughs> you know, we don't have the big money. You're sicker than a dog. Yeah. Here we are. We can't even keep our guests happy. I think that was. <coughs> I think that was us this time. I don't know what's going on, Colby. That's probably our fault. That one said I was the only one left in the meeting, so. Yeah, that was yeah, that's that's on us. We'll see. I don't know. We'll, we're just gonna keep it rolling. Just keep rolling. Just keep rolling. Pick right back up yeah, where you right. left off. <laughs> Uh, we we're just talking about betting, right? So yep. just, uh, I don't see that everything that we find in the winter always translates to, uh, to season. Uh, you got, like I said, you gotta be kind of careful, like, um, really gotta see like, what's the stem count around the area? Like, is there a lot of that, you know, when there's leaves on, you know, when stuff is green, that those deer have a lot of cover around them. Um, we just noticed that like, if we take you through like the season early in the year when everything's green and lush and we're talking like late August, September, I find that deer bed relatively close to food sources. Like they're kind of lazy. It, it's warm out. It's hot out. They don't want to expend a ton of energy if they're going to go get up and grab a bite to eat. That they're relatively close to food. And sometimes like, in areas that they can get good wind because you know them bugs are all over them whether it's mosquitoes or black flies or whatever they like i think feeling a little bit of breeze so again betting closer to a food source sometimes maybe they're getting some breeze off the field or whatnot um and then as the season progresses and obviously hunting pressure comes into play it seems like they start to back themselves back into the timber a little bit more um and then in hill country especially like later on that's when we are like more into the season um late september october obviously into the rot that's when we start to see prominent bedding on points or leeward sides of the ridges and old logging roads stuff like that so yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean it sounds like it's just kind of more of a cyclical thing like they're just constantly going to be changing and that's something you have to monitor throughout the season I mean I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about today obviously we're really focusing on spring scouting but if you want to be successful you have to put in your your time and do your due diligence year-round and really get to learn and understand what the needs are for your herd and why they might be doing the things that they're doing because it's really not that hard to figure out if you just understand what a deer needs and you know it, it's got to eat and it's got to try and survive and if you can just kind of put those pieces together 
and figure out what's going to be the best combination of eating and survival throughout the different seasons you know in the winter time you got to have a place where it's going to be warm and in the summer you got to stay cool i mean that's not really rocket science you know so like you said trying to find a windy or, or somewhat breezy spot to try and keep some of the bugs off of them maybe cool down a little bit you know that's that's something that isn't too difficult to kind of figure out if you just put a little bit of time in and, and try to put the pieces together um so it's yeah it's definitely something that is attainable for for everybody to just kind of put a little time in and figure some of these things out some other some other tidbits with finding bedding like i i wouldn't say that we're real big on you know finding buck beds is kind of like the big craze right now right but we're not i wouldn't say we're like real into that but just when you do go out there and you find bedding this time of year there are a couple things you're looking for like if you stumble upon an area that is just littered with beds, right? Whether it's five, six, seven, 12, 15. Um, and they're just kind of smaller to medium sized ovals. Like odds are that's not like you haven't just found like the buck, the, the monarch buck spot where he just comes back in that area. Odds are that's doe bedding, especially if they're all, the bodies are all faced in different directions. Those will bet in family groups, right? And they'll all watch a different direction for danger. They don't necessarily put their back to the wind um, or anything like that. They'll be all faced a different way and they're looking and helping each other out because they've got all these different sets of eyes to do that. As if you come upon like obviously a bigger oval, maybe backed up against some brush um, where if you sit in it and can envision, you know, a specific wind and then go, oh, yeah, this is a lone deer, probably a big buck, batted with his back this way so that he can look and see back up this logging road or whatever. Um, you can kind of decipher some of that stuff, but you got to be careful. You know, sometimes you, you see people talk about or there may be some people that aren't quite as experienced oh i went out and i found this area that had like 12 or 15 beds all in the same spot well odds are that's probably you found some great doe bedding area and you should note that and mark that down because that stuff's good in november right when bucks are cruising around but um you didn't stumble upon the honey hole of, of a buck bed there so. right so are deer beds comfy? Another thing too sometimes <laughs> are, are deer beds comfy it sounds like you spent a lot of time in them. <laughs> I prefer a buck bed. I mean, I'm 260 pounds, so I need a bigger oval on the ground that I can okay. cuddle up. I and mean, that little one that doesn't do me so well. You do know, they so. have pillows? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. I kind of interrupted oh, it's you like, there. It's fun. it's fun when you stumble upon a, a buck bed, right? Like, it, it's fun to know, like, okay, this is a place that he lives i think another misconception is that bucks always go back and bed in the exact same spot and that's just so far from the truth like and trail cameras prove that if if, if a buck used the same bed day after day after day you would get him on camera day after day after day coming out of the same spot like that just isn't very very rarely the case like you know they at least deer on the properties we hunt, they're like all over the place. They're adjusting, you know, you get them in the same side of the farm for two, two, three days. And then, you know, the next three, three days they're on the other side or coming from a completely different direction. And, you know, they're always adjusting. They got all kinds of different beds. They know what's going on on that property. They don't just have one spot. So, 
So this might be a bit of a tougher question. There might not be like a great answer for it, but in your opinion, do you think that buck beds or deer beds in general are somewhat like rubs in that if you see if you see a rub that pops up in late October and you're like, oh, this is super fresh, this looks great, and then you put a trail camera on it, a lot of times that buck that made that rub is not going to be coming back and just tearing that up every day are, but they might still kind of be in the same like general area. So are, are deer beds and buck beds somewhat like that, where if you go find this bed and you sit down in it, can you bet on that deer being back in that exact same spot whenever they're in the area? Or do you think it's more so like, okay, if I found this, it's kind of like finding a rub. This must be a, a good spot for it, but it's not necessarily going to be this exact coordinates. That's a good question, but I would say for sure, buck finding a bed is vastly more reliable than finding a rub. A rub was like a one-time occurrence. If you find a, like in order to find a bed is outside of snow. Like if you have snow, sure, it could be a one-time deal. But if you're walking around and to see a bed that has obvious sign that it's been there means that that grounds down a little bit. You can actually see the oval in the dirt. Like that deer's been there more than once. He's not leaving that end of that spot because he's only been there one time, right? Um, it's it, it's got to take dozens of times for him to wear that dirt down in an oval that he or she, you know, doe has been sitting there. So, right. Whereas the rut is more of a one-time deal. Like that bed is definitely, if you find one, it's been used multiple, multiple times. So you'd say then it is a little bit more reliable than to find a bed like that. You can kind of bet maybe, you know, like you said, not every day or, or not all the time, but if you find a, a bed like that, that really is imprinted, there is good indication that that's a bed. You can kind of bet that that specific spot is going to be used more often. For sure. <clears throat> okay. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Cause I don't, I, I think I was always kind of under the impression that it was more like rubs where you see them it's like okay that's a good indicator for the area but it's not necessarily that exact spot and I, I guess it only makes a difference in that sense of you know where you might want to set up a tree stand or what your access points might be you know if you're setting up 25 30 yards off of a, a rub you know you can't really bet on that because you can't bet that that deer is going to come back to that exact spot it might still be around the area but not that specific tree but if you know that that might be you know to a certain point of exactness that that's where that deer is going to be i think that can be pretty beneficial to trying to sneak in there and get to a spot that you know they can't see you on your way in and that you might have a chance to hunt them either on their way to the bed or going you know out of it for sure um a little bit about a rub or rubs i should say is so like I've I don't know if you guys have heard of this but like a rub line so to say where maybe there's yep. a trail that runs and there's a bunch of rubs on there consistently. So you, is it, so a buck may only make one rub on that tree and they might not touch it again but is it more likely that other bucks that are going to come and hit that same rub and kind of like uh, kind of like a scrape in that matter uh Kobe you might have this answer but like say a pretty decent buck makes a rub on a I know you know not not a little sapling but a decent yep. sized tree are more bucks going to come through and hit that scrape or hit that rub too just to show dominance type of thing 
That, uh, you know, I don't have a ton of experience of actually seeing that live. I, I've seen plenty of bucks make rubs, but it's usually on it their own fresh tree. So I've seen plenty of bucks and does come up and hit a scrape. I, I can't say that I've seen a really, I could probably less than three fingers count how many times I've seen another buck hit a, a rub that's already been made. So um sometimes like probably put a little too much stock into rubs but i mean is there anything more exciting than going through the woods and seeing a eight inch diameter tree that's just ripped to shreds i think that gets gets every hunter jacked up but um in terms of like so do you're gonna come back and visit more a, a scrape for sure <clears throat> yeah so i mean that those are good points then too because we talk about what you might be looking for this time of year rubs obviously like you said always you know gets the heart pumping pretty cool to see can be somewhat of an indicator but if you can find those scrapes and you can find those bedding areas you're going to be in a lot better shape and, and those are some better indicators of where you might want to be hunting and how you might want to change your outlook on the property for the fall but what are some other things that you're going to be looking for when you're going out this time of year, like trails, for example? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, when you're going out in the spring, old school, like pen and paper or notebook or journal or something, or whatever app you're using nowadays, whether that's Onyx, HuntStand, you know, whatever's out there, Yep. you got to be marking all that down. Um, if you think you're going to walk through an entire woods and end up seeing 50 rubs and 25 scrapes and all these trails and then go back to your truck and think you're going to remember exactly where <laughs> everything is, no freaking way, right? So you got to mark this stuff down because you'd be surprised when you start punching in points all over, like how that really just brings that focus into that one area where you can go back and then look at it later and go, holy cow, look at the cluster of sign, this area. Now, where are the trails leading in and out of that area? It's the access like, how can we get in there? And now you can start putting that those pieces of that puzzle together, right? About how you want to hunt that spot. But so number one, when you're going in the woods in the spring, really any time of the year, you should have some, whether it's your app or a notebook to write this stuff down, because you're going to forget otherwise. So you know, that's rule number one. But really, like, I talk about trying to find uh, plus factors in multitudes of, like, two or three or more. So, like, what are we looking for? We're looking for rubs. We're looking for scrapes. We're looking for trails. We're looking for crisscrossing trails. Um, I'm looking for a spot to set up in a tree stand in. Like, we're looking for, like, minimum of two of those in the same area right but more so like three or more of those uh things in an area otherwise like we're passing it by like so there needs to be a heavy trail there needs to be an old scrape maybe two or three old scrapes maybe another trail okay now we're talking about a spot that might offer a, a stand setup if it doesn't have that like we're going to continue to keep moving when it comes to picking or setting tree stands, I should say, what is it? What do you look for in a tree when you're gonna put your what? What tree are you gonna put your stand in? If you if you have like the perfect tree, I guess so to say, what would you? What are you looking for? Uh, the perfect trees always seems to be like 
50 yards in the wrong direction or like on the <laughs> other side of the trail where you don't want to be right yeah um so a lot of times you're not dealing with the perfect tree like i think that can be maybe uh what's the word for it but <clears throat> maybe a, a negative of that maybe sometimes people focus on too much is like trying to get in the perfect tree for their tree stand for one like before it it's a perfect tree we need to be able to access it without being like seen smelled or heard you know sometimes you can't always take into account um the noise factor but definitely can't be seen definitely can't be heard or sorry smelled um and then heard so times we're taking into account like what are the predominant winds in the fall a lot of time it's north northwest or southwest so we are usually trying to set stands with those winds in mind so um that doesn't mean that we're going to get a perfect tree but it has to have those two factors um going for it before you know care about what the tree actually looks like um we're trying to get up 20 to 25 feet i know eli was talking about that the other day in the podcast that we're usually up there in that 22 to 25 foot range i would agree with that um we're both bigger dudes so it can't just be a little skinny popple tree we do need something with size you know preferably a, a decent sized tree that's going to cover you up where you're not standing out like a sore thumb right um and it doesn't always work that way i know we got one set and I, I give him crap about it all the time. I'm like, I can't believe you hung a stand in this tree, but it's like, and if you like itch your nose, it feels like the tree is swaying back and forth because <laughs> the tree is just so skinny. And like, you can't get away with any movement. I'm like, how in the world are we ever going to shoot a deer out of this tree? Because like, you can't make the slightest movement without that tree shaking. So I can't imagine trying to, uh, you know, draw your bow with a, with a buck 15 yards away or something, but that opportunity hasn't come happened yet. So we haven't been able to, I haven't been able to confirm. <laughs> well, that spot. But one of the things that I, I did know. this year, this past year that I like, it really saved me a lot of grief. I bought some marking tape. It's really cheap. It's really light and compact to just carry around. You can throw it in your back pocket when you're walking through the woods and I just took, so I just got some orange or some pink or whatever. And if I came across a tree that I was like, okay, this is one I want to take a look at in the summer when we go to hang tree stands here, just wrap some marking tape at eye level all the way around that thing. And then mark it on, on like an on X or we, we use hunt stand, which is also pretty good. Um, just so you kind of have like both of those things, because there's been times where we've walked through the woods, we had it, this year before I went out and marked a couple of trees, my dad was walking through the woods and saw a couple spots and he took some pictures, whatever. And then you go and pull that picture up three months later <laughs> and you're walking through the woods. You're like, well, it's somewhere over in this area, but you can't really pinpoint where that is. And you see that one tree that kind of splits off and you're like, okay, well maybe that's the one. No, that's not it. And then, oh, is this the right angle? I mean, it's just impossible to try and figure out which tree you're actually thinking is a good one unless you mark it somehow. And doing it, you know, by, by putting a mark can be good, but sometimes even with that, you know, I'll, I'll try and get it as close to where I currently am, but 
it's like you're still marking kind of an abstract point but if you take something and actually specifically mark that tree and just wrap that marking tape around it it's like it's foolproof as long as you wrap it enough but it, it can be just a huge time saver because then you have it marked on the map so you know how to get there right so you come back a couple months later and you're like all right i'm looking for this spot and you can go right to it and before you even get up to where that spot says on the map you can already spot that orange or that pink you know sticking through the woods and boom there's your tree so when it comes to actually finding the right trees if you find one that you think is good just carry around some marking tape and throw it on there i don't know if you've got any other tricks that you use colby we we do the same thing um so that that's a brings up a great point like when we're march scouting we are not hanging tree stands uh we are trying to get as many bots and scouting like again this is the best time of year right it's 50 degrees we're not sweating um we want to cover ground and cover spots and scout as many areas as we can if we got to the first spot that looked good and decided we wanted to hang a tree stand well now we're back to the truck now we're dragging the stand in then you know how it goes you try to hang the stand something doesn't go well pretty soon you've wasted three hours that you should have had boots on the ground covering ground and you probably missed out on another five other spots so we are marking stuff and then boom it's like keep moving um if we really feel very confident about the spot we will definitely like tape a specific tree but otherwise we'll mark those trees on onyx and a lot of times we'll mark multiple trees in the same area and we'll label it like ladder stand or like we use climbers for our mobile setup we will find trees in that area that would, would be suitable for our climber and we'll mark them right away because we may continue to scout and go oh that spot isn't nearly as good as what we found the rest of the day hey it might be worth a shot as a one-time deal to come in there with our climber someday um and now we got that tree marked already where we don't have to go back in there um does that make sense yeah mm -hmm. no 100 percent. i think that's a great point for you know what you're trying to accomplish in march or this time of year and prioritizing that like now is not the time to be hanging your tree stands like it's just gonna slow you way down it's not a good idea because like you said something always goes wrong that it takes way too much time and then you want to try and come back well then you've got other stuff going on other obligations and you know in the coming weekends and whatever it just it's not a good idea to be doing that right now you've got plenty of time to get those tree stands set or trail cameras or whatever like you you should be going in there with if you've got a backpack on it's like snacks and drinks and otherwise you're going pretty light and you're just trying to cover ground you're using your your mobile scouting to try and you know whatever app that is to mark spots if you've got a notepad or the notes app in your phone whatever like you're just on a mission you're strictly scouting strictly trying to find those spots and you're not trying to hang anything or mess with any other gear or equipment or anything like that because it's just going to totally distract from what you're actually trying to accomplish you're trying to get as much big picture material as you can and you can only get that as if if you you know run through your entire property so I mean, we've done it before, right? Uh, this all comes from experience of, of screwing up. Like we've gotten in there in March and 
and you know you dive into the first spot and oh it looks really good so you run back grab a stand hang go through the work of hanging it waste two hours and then you walk 75 yards further and you're like oh my god this is where we should have hung it yep. <laughs> and you just wasted the two hours hanging it 75 yards back and you're like had we just walked and seen the sign this spot is better than spot a right so go through do all the scouting first you can always go back then and look at your collection of all your and all your notes and then prioritize a little you can come back later in summer and now you can go in there and okay we're going to hang these three sets or we're going to hang these four or we're going to adjust you know move set a over 60 yards you know but you can go back then after you've done all this scouting and have all these big picture notes and details and now you can prioritize a list of what really needs to happen the next time you come back but you're not going to get all those details if you are wasting you know four or five hours hanging two sets to, in a 10-hour day that you had so right so let's say you you find your spot right you're scouting in march and you've just got this beautiful spot it's got all kinds of positive factors going for it you've got the buck bedding you've got the scrapes you know, you, you've got all this great stuff going on. It looks perfect. You found the perfect tree. You can hang your stand, whatever, and you walk in there in September, October, and you blow out all the deer that you were trying to get in there and hunt. And you had the perfect spot, but you didn't have the access. So access can be just such a crucial point to actually making a spot perfect. Like no spot is really going to be perfect unless you can actually get to it. So what are some of the things that you're looking for when you find the spot? You're like, okay, this could be really good. What are some of the things you're looking for to try and make sure that you can actually access it without pumping deer? Good, great question. Like predominant winds, right? Like if it's that, if we're expecting Northwest or Southwest, like we got to be able to walk in with the wind in our favor. Um, where we expect deer to come from, our wind should not be blowing in that direction as we're approaching the tree stand um you should have some type of cover decent cover and we've gone out of our way to like make that cover like you know whether it's hinging trees or kind of building brush blocks stuff like that so it, you know it, it just covers us up a little bit as we're walking in if you're hunting hill country like sometimes these paths are cut on top of the ridges and that's all great and easy to walk but you are skylined as all get out when you walk on top of the ridge and that's something you need to keep in mind as well like if you were just down that hill another 10 or 15 yards you're no longer lined and stuff that's below you or maybe on the other hillside can't see you so um you have to walk through a field to get there um, that's a big deal for us where we hunt. We have to walk through a lot of egg to get to some of our sets. So there's some stands where like, man, I'm sure they'd be great in the morning, but we just don't hunt them in the morning because we know we're going to blow deer up getting to them. Um, especially early in the season, blow those deer out and it's September, October, and you blow them out of the fields and they're down the bluff into the woods. They ain't coming back up to see you. Um, now, if it's November 6th, we probably a little bit more carefree. It's the rut. If you blow a couple off the field, who knows? 30 minutes later, they might come flying past you again. But we're very cognizant early in the season about how we're accessing stands through egg. Like, if you're going to go do a morning hunt, 
where are deer in the first hour, you know, when it's dark out yet, where are they? They're out in the field eating. And if you have to walk through that field to get to your tree stand, you hundred percent, you're going to blow those deer out. Um, so a lot of those sets, we will just purely save till the afternoon. Um, and then that come, that brings in a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. But that's why we've dabbled out and, and found public land spots and other that we can go hunt so that we don't feel obligated. Like we have to go hunt the morning on some of our good sets because we know it's not good because we know we're going to blow deer out. Um, but then again, you know, if you afternoon, it's okay to walk through a field because they're not usually out there yet. They're in bed. You can sneak in, you can get off that field edge in between bedding and food, get into your stand um, safely. And, and then that's okay. Now getting out exit sometime is a issue, but you know, you got to give up stuff somewhere. So, yeah, Jake, I mean, when you, you've had some times trying to get <laughs> out of a tree stand and you're just like covered up in deer, you can't even get out. Well, that's where it's nice to have, um, if you're, hopefully you're hunting with someone else or other people who are up there and they can, uh, go grab the four wheeler or the truck. Cause to them, that's normal. They see that all the time. They just think, Oh, headlights all, or a vehicle I'll run in and that doesn't spook them like if they were to smell me or watch me climb down out of my tree so that that works a lot for us but if you're by yourself you're kind of kind of sol there because you either you had to bite the bullet or i mean i guess sit there for right quite a while but who wants to do that because then it just gets later and later and then more deer are going to come out and you, then who knows what's going to happen so yeah so is that something you've got <clears throat> any experience with colby like if you are covered up, do you think if you go and get a vehicle and try and come and rescue somebody that way, do you think that that is probably a, a better way to spook them out? If you have to pick either going spooked by vehicle or spooked by, um, you know, climbing down out of your tree, do you think that's a better way to go? I, I definitely think probably spooked by vehicle is way better, especially if you're just talking, bringing that UTV or vehicle through a field. Um, right. to spook deer off the field now if if you're ripping the utv through the heart of the woods <laughs> nah, i'd probably say it's not a great idea but if you just have to run it through the field to spook them off the field so that hunter can safely get out i absolutely would would say that's a great idea we would do that a lot we just don't have that capability where we're at so a lot of times we are uh sitting there and waiting them out and you know one guy of course one guy can always gets out clean and then yep. you're like at the truck 45 minutes going where in the world is eli or he's going where <laughs> the heck is that? you know exactly what's going on you're just you know obviously you're hoping safety wise that the guy's okay but usually we can fire off a text to each other like yeah dude i'm covered up in deer i'm not gonna be out anytime soon so right so yeah, i've been there plenty of times yeah, so you guys are in, like we've said, more of a, a bluff country. You've got a lot of changes in elevation there. But so this new property that I've been kind of scouting recently um, and trying to get permission to hunt on, it's like flat. There's maybe, aside from, there's one field kind of off towards the back of the property that's got some major elevation to it. But for the majority of like the big field that's out there and then all of the woods, and the marsh there's maybe 10 feet of elevation change through the whole like 250 acres so if you're in a, a situation like that where you can't really use the topography to your advantage when it comes to an access point 
I'm trying to kind of figure out what's the best advice. Like if I'm going to have a stand way in the back of the property, how do I get there? What's the route that I can take? Because the fields up in the front of the property, I'm going to, I'm going to have to walk through a good chunk of woods to get there. Now, obviously it's going to be specific to what the layout is of, of each different woods, but is the advice then, okay, you need to put in a bunch of time to figure out where these deer are bedding so that you can confidently when you're walking in in September, say, I know these deer are bedded here so I can walk through the middle of the woods here and I know they're not going to see me and it won't be a problem. Is that kind of how you figure that, that thing out? Yeah. Um, that's probably your best bet. Like, yeah, you trying to figure out where deer are bedded on that property and avoid walking, you know, near or close to those areas where, get, where you're going to spook them out. Um, uh, that's probably your bad. And then just, you know, the wind in your face or, or at least slightly in your face um, as you're going you're the best that you can. So, so you and, and Eli have both kind of brought this up. Um, I think specifically on the Minnesota public land trip from this past year, but what, what is your experience on access through the water? been good <laughs> it's, it's it's a pain and that's why it's good right because not everybody wants to do it but it's it, yeah i mean it's a pain in the ass putting on a set of waders and then crossing a, a river and then carrying you know your stuff over your shoulder and really not knowing what that river's like you don't know if the next step you're going to go up to your chest or something and um but then you know getting to the other side and having to take them off or uh you know, change out or, you know, we've taken canoes before and, well, you think you're a good paddler until it's <laughs> dark out, cold, and you got all sorts of gear in the canoe and all of a sudden you feel, feel like Willy Wonka tipping back and forth in that thing. Um, <laughs> and then just, you know, trying to trying to find a place to land the canoe in the dark and not get your gear wet or get yourself wet. It's a different, uh, it's a different challenge, but I'll tell you what, it's a lot of fun. Um, knowing that you're doing that stuff and it's uh, been rewarding in the past so yeah i nice I, to know you're going to spots where you're not going to see other people i can get behind going through and you know you're going in for the afternoon you wade through there you canoe in there whatever but then getting out at night i mean darkness and water just don't really <laughs> mix like it's not not a great thing there but like you said on public land it allows you to go further and go beyond what you know, 95% of the other hunters are going to be willing to do, which gives you better hunting opportunities, not only because you're going to be secluded and you're not going to have as many other hunters pressuring it, but less hunting pressure also means that's probably where the deer are specifically the, the big bucks are going to be. So that can be great there. And on private land, you know, if you happen to have private land where the water can run, either run through it or run along one of the edges or whatever, like we both have that. Um, and we talked about this year, maybe trying to get on your property mm -hmm. and just like going in on one of the bridges and trying to get down and just paddle on in there and access it without ever setting foot on the whole rest of the property and do that when the wind's in our favor and try and get on there and the deer will never see us coming. So I think that can be another, if you have access to water like that, it can be another great tool if you're willing to put in all of the extra hassle that that comes with it. 
for sure. I know, I know this is kind of off topic, not what we're geared toward today, but there's three things that, um, will keep people out of property. And one is water is really steep terrain because they're lazy. They don't want to walk it. And the other thing would be like all grass or cattails or something that's, you know, chest height or eye height and above. I think that freaks people out. They, they want to be able to see, they want to be able to see their feet when they're walking or they want to be able to see where they're going. So if you can find any land that has, you know, just water access, tall grass above your head or steep terrain, you're going to eliminate a lot of the general hunting public. Yeah. hundred percent. So to kind of go back to the, the March scouting things and, and, maybe even go a little bit closer towards summer. If you find a spot that has some good positive factors going for it, you've got a a good access point there. What are some ways then that you can try to make it even a little bit better? Like how can we add another factor to and really try and solidify this spot without going too overboard? Because we've done that. We've had times where we're like, okay, we are going to just really make this a great spot. And then we do too much. So now like we're either cutting down too much or clearing out too much or adding too much to where it's almost like it's somebody's backyard and now like the deer aren't going to be there anymore. So how do you find that balance and what are some of the things that you can do to try and make a good spot even better? So like once, once let's say we zeroed in on a, a good pinch point that we feel like for some reason is the good pinch. Now that could be, terrain like the top of a steep ditch it could be um you know along a fence line that's runs through a woods but there's a section of the fence that's out or a tree fell over it so it's like a natural deer crossing that would be considered a pinch to me like it pinches down the deer movement specific area we, we love hunting those pinches but um, maybe the only other factor that we found in that area is a rub so we got two factors we got the pinch we got the rub well we got three we got the trail as well um how can we make that even better like if we feel like that's a spot we're going to set up in yeah let's add some plus factors to this spot let's throw in one or two mock scrape um we like using the vine thing that you wore you know that jeff sturgis uh promotes that's yep we've had a lot of success with that so we like putting in one to two you know mock scrapes some of these places we put in you know went in there and dug water holes um you could manipulate their travel even more. Like, like we said, you're looking for that good tree. Um, maybe that tree you found is 50 yards off the trail. I don't feel comfortable making, and we really want to be in this spot, but the only tree we can get in is 50 yards away. I don't feel comfortable making that 50 yard bow shot. So let's manipulate their travel route. Let's down a tree. Let's throw some brush. Let's block that trail and make them come 15, 20, 25 yards closer. So now we got a 25 yard shot. So we've taken that same point that we want to be in and just manipulated a few things or added some extra factors. So maybe we like block that trail and then boom, put a mock scrape. Yep. Now he's pinched down, but he can't go on the original trail. He has to cut closer to us. And then as he's cutting closer, oh, let's go check out that mock scrape. Boom, now we got him at 25 yards. Um, those are some probably three of the main things that we're doing Uh, we put in i think we have four or five water holes now at tree stand sites that again used to be like plus two or plus three factor spots with 
you know, whether it's a rub or a pinch point and a trail. Now we add a water hole. Now we're up to plus four. Maybe we had a, a mock scrape. Now we got five factors working in our favor that can draw that buck to that spot. So, yeah, we almost always, every spot we get, you know, we want it to be a plus two or plus three when we find it, and then we're going to add another one or two factors to, to juice up that spot a little bit. So those the mock scrapes like you talked about with um, Jeff Sturgis and the Whitetail Habitat Solutions, um, we've been trying the same things, especially this year. Jake and I put a couple of those out, and, yeah, we had tons of success with those as well. So I know he always says, like, you should have – one mock scrape per tree stand, no more, no less. Have one at every tree stand that you've got. Um, I suppose you could probably, you could probably put out too many, to the point where you can't really reliably count on deer to be hitting any one of those. Whereas if you just have one per tree stand or maybe two, like especially if it's all kind of on the same trail you're going to know okay this is probably going to be the one that they're going to hit or if there's multiple trails find the spot where they converge that's where you got your your mock scrape and then you know that that's right where all of them are going to be hitting no matter which trail they're on but when it comes to water holes is there any sort of what let's touch on that mock scrape thing okay so i think one of the biggest reasons on why you don't put out two, three, four different mock scrapes around that stand is a lot of times we're running a camera on that mock scrape. And if we got four different mock scrapes, who knows if we're, if we guess the right one, True. Um, that buck could be in that area and hit three out of those four, but he doesn't hit the one that your camera's on. And you don't even know that he's there where he has been there big time all week long. Um, he's just hitting the other scrapes that your camera's not on. So, um, that's where you can go overboard and do too much stuff. And then you're not able to cover it with your, you know, if you are running trail cameras in that area, but if you just have the one scrape um, and that's the main focal point of that area, you got to figure every buck that comes in that area is going to that one spot. But if you got four of them, who knows which one he's touching. So I think that's where the big deal comes in with only having one of them at, at a spot. Yeah. That's a great point because I mean, nowadays, those trail camera pictures can be such a huge factor in deciding where you might sit when you're going out this weekend, or if you even go out at all this weekend, because like you said, you could have a buck that's in that area, you know, five days out of seven for the past seven days, you know, you should probably be hitting that spot this weekend. But if you don't have any pictures of them, you might say, all right, well, you know, I might sit it out this weekend you know, spend this time with my family and, and try and go next weekend. So in, in today's era, you just, you do have to factor in trail cameras at that point and where you're going to put them and how that's all going to play out because it really can decide whether or not you're going to actually be out or where you might be going. And that can be the difference. And if you get to punch that tag this year or not. Mm -hmm. So, but but if we go on then to um, the waterhole side of things, you're probably not going to have one at every stand, I wouldn't think. So where do you kind of go with the waterholes then? When, when is that? When do you look at a spot and go, okay, this spot needs a waterhole? Yeah, you're definitely not going to have one at every stand. Um, 
nor I don't think you'd want to either. But um, <laughs> number one, access. You got to be able to access it to fill it up. Um, so you can't put a water hole, at least a big tank. You could probably just put a small one that can fill up on rain, but you're not going to put one of these big 110, 130 gallon tanks in a spot where you can't access with your UTV or four wheeler with, you know, the ability to fill it up. So that obviously has to be number one. So a lot of our water holes actually aren't too far into the woods. They're kind of like in these staging areas off of food. Um, and again, in between bedding. So our thought process is if we can on their way out to feed at night, if they can stop and take a drink, um, what we're trying to do is catch them on their way to go feed at night. Um, or it's just kind of travel hubs that we can access decent enough where, you know, during the rut when they're running like crazy that they can just hop in quick and grab a drink and then they're off again on some trail systems so but you got to be able to access them to fill them up i mean water tanks don't do you any good if they're bone dry and deer can't get to them so that would defeat the purpose of having one right so i mean can you have too much water or a point where it just doesn't really work anymore you know so i've got we've got a pretty solid it's not a river but it could be considered a pretty solid creek that runs right along the side of the property and, you know, there's different things out there. I mean, if you watch Jeff Sturgis with Whitetail Habitat Solutions, I know we plug him a lot, but we all watch his content quite a bit, and it, it's been pretty reliable, and we do kind of follow a lot of what he teaches. But, you know, he, he's said at times that deer don't really love clean, cold water. It just kind of doesn't really jive with their system, that they would prefer – stagnant dirty stinky water because it just it, warm water like it's just it just helps them digest i think it's just like a, it's what they like that's what they want so in our area i put out a water hole last year and just didn't see a ton of use out of it i guess it, it just didn't feel like they were really hitting it like i thought they would so i'm not sure how much of that might be that creek that's running through there Maybe it's just not in the best spot. I mean, you've got a creek yeah, that runs say, alongside yours, and you still. They, I live and die by those water holes. We, like Kobe said, we got, I got probably uh, like six of them, six or seven of them, and four of them are on stands, but those are right on the edges of field where they're coming from their bedding, they're going to hit that, then they're going to go eat, or they're going to eat, they're going to come back, hit it, and go back to bed. And like <laughs> in august through october the amount of pictures we get is insane and like i mean there's easy to pattern um does like every night i'd be like okay if you go sit there you'll kill a doe because they come in there every single day with their fawns they go out to eat and they come back in bucks are i mean we're getting to the point where they're it's getting close to where you can be like he's been in here the last he usually hits this two or three times a week because we know that he comes in he eats he hits the water and he goes to bed so I, I love it, and I don't think that the river – the deer are lazy, really. Right. If they don't got to go across the road and, I don't know, three 400 yards to get their dirtier water, so to say. But I mean, our water gets dirty and warm after a while, too, if unless they're hitting it a couple hours after we fill it, which they do because we've had pictures of it. But 
for the most part, they're lazy. If they only got to, if they just got to go um, bed, uh, water to food, food, bed, water, and all within 100 yards, they're going to do that instead of walking way across the property. So, yeah. You got any thoughts on that, Colby? Yeah, I agree 100% with that. I just, in your case, it just, maybe they just need a year to find it. I mean, there's all kinds of different factors that go on. Um, with that creek that you had, I mean, maybe a local food source, they were getting their, you know, a lot of times they get their water from just their green food sources. Right. Um, and that, or maybe there's a, the neighbor's got a water hole. I mean, maybe they just need some time to find it. Um, we've had success with some of ours where like the first year, boom, they're on it like crazy. And then a couple of our other ones where we thought, man, this is going to be an absolute dynamite spot for a water hole. It like didn't produce the first year and we're just, and next year's a lot better. So it just case in points a little bit different. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'd hold a lot. Of yet. What's that? Hold a lot of confidence with, with it yet that they'll find it and eventually it will be very good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they got to have water. So mm-hmm. if, especially like in the bluff country where you're hunting there, you know, that there's not necessarily always an abundance of water there might be good stretches of ground that deer would have to cover to get to like an actual water source i mean like you said they can get a lot of that from green food sources and that's why they love those so much you know in the summer they don't even really necessarily need to drink that much i've I've heard that talked about a little bit where in the summertime they don't even necessarily need actual water because they can the way that their bodies digest that stuff, they can literally get all of the moisture that they need from those green food sources. But as things start to turn brown, you get into the fall when you're actually trying to hunt them and, and those water sources are going to come in in handy there. Um, you know, that's when they're really going to need of how, it. Think of how dewy the grass is in like the month of August every morning. Yeah. And they're getting that all of their food. I would say our water holes heat up the best when those beans start to yellow and the corn starts to yellow. That's when you really notice the transition where they're drinking a lot more water. You would think that these 95 degree July, August days would be hot on the water holes and they're just not at crazy. But as soon as those beans and corn starts to dry up, they're on it like crazy. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. What's up? See that? Well, <clears throat> yeah, we, it's kind of a little opposite, but they, they also do when it's, when it's like yellow, they'll hammer it. But the summer is just like more so for doe. I wouldn't say our, our bigger bucks are hitting it a ton, but in the summer, the amount of does and fawns that hit these water holes is like, you, you could just, we have to turn our cameras to like three minutes in between pictures because they'll just sit there for like almost hours at some point and just drink. Yeah. Just drink water. They'll lay down, come stand back up, drink some more, lay back down. And, but also, like you said, when it does get into those, almost when it gets colder, so to say, they're going to stop and hit it. And you wouldn't think that they'd want it. Like you say, the ice cold water, but in late October when they're rutting and running, they're, they're hitting it still. Or even when I was just out there last two weekends ago, they, I broke all of ours open because they were all froze over with ice. Everyone I walked by, I broke it open because if there's water there, they're going to hit it. And you can see where they've been trying to paw at it. And yep. they'll try and break it open because they, they want that. And you, no matter how cold it is. Yeah, I think it's about placement too. Like, I feel like where a lot of yours are, 
are just in those summer spots where they can still kind of just be there and be lazy around the water Mm -hmm. all day and just hang out like they're in the office hanging around the water cooler almost like that it seems like the positioning that you have them in is just kind of perfect and that's probably why that our pictures in the summer are a lot higher too and because like i was saying between their bed food and water is all 100 yards so they don't have to go very far at all right they just kind of hang out there yeah well i don't know colby um looking at our list here i I got a lot of my questions answered i don't know if you got got, okay when do you guys usually hang your stands what time of year the usually a splendid 92 degree 100 percent humidity a in the middle of july is what seems to time out the absolute best like um just we've just had so many of those days so july is usually when we try to get out there it's just really it's whatever weekend works for both of us and are now super crazy tight schedules with both of, both of us having young families and whatnot you know but it just always seems like it doesn't matter what week or what couple of days set that we pick in July. It's always mid low nineties, super humid and just a sweat fest. But yeah, usually July I'm fishing a lot in June. Um, and August is just starting to get too close to the season. So mm-hmm. usually we're trying to pick some. Okay. We hung all of ours in like July of, 2022 so we're gonna be going on like 16 <laughs> months we're gonna just be rolling we're good to go they're still up right now you go sit if i wanted to <laughs> there's another factor too is we don't in our bluff country area we don't take down all our stands which i know can be a big no-no like where i hunt in central wisconsin we take all of our stands down every year um, just for the to keep the straps good and the longevity but so that ends up being part of our march scout as well as we will go and walk and hit every single one of our tree stands and like do the straps re-tighten them kind of get an inventory of like oh that's not looking so good this tree stand needs to be replaced um just get a kind of an inventory of all of our stuff and what needs to you know, maybe be taken down or, you know, strap replaced or maybe a new set of sticks or whatnot. And again, taking notes of that because you're not going to remember it. And then when we come back in July, that's when we'll get in there and, and replace all that stuff. Because usually we're like a end of June, early July type of crew. We don't really fish that much, so we kind of are open to whatever. Mm-hmm. But this year... It kind of depends on crops for us because we'll take the trucks or the four wheelers with trailers and just load them all up on there. But the last two years we had we've had beans, so in June and July they're only ten inches tall. You can drive right through that and it won't wreck them. But this year is going to be corn, so by the yeah. Fourth of July they might be two three feet high. So we're probably going to have to get them out early at the end of May, early June this year. So that's yeah. just kind of why I asked. Yeah, uh, there's been a few years where we've had to just schedule wise had to go into the first week or two of august and i just i'd really prefer not to do that it's Mm -hmm. just you're starting to get in that you know four week four or five week window of the season started and i'd rather we just rather would leave it alone i'd rather go early than late at least a good month where no one's in there yeah 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think even when it comes to the scouting stuff, it's like don't wait till July or August where you're like, oh, oh yeah, deer season's right around the corner. I better uh, head out to the woods and see what's going on, see where I want to put all my stands or wait till August to start shooting your bow. Like it's better to just do all this stuff earlier on than to go later. I, I definitely wouldn't be afraid to put them up in May if that's the case, you know, and maybe like right at the end of turkey hunting when that's over the first weekend after go throw them up there because i wouldn't want to wait till later i don't think mm-hmm. that's usually what we strive for right yeah but colby you made a great point it's there. such a, a different approach like march is all about learning about making notes about you know what needs to be replaced or we want a new stand there so we got to buy a new stand but you're making notes of all that and then when we go in in July, like it's attack mode. Like we know we've got these 15 things that need to be done today and we're going hard to get those 15 done. Whereas more of that March, you're just so open-ended, but you're learning the whole time and you're not doing all these chores. It's just all about learning as much information as you can get and uh, getting other things on that list, whether it's, you know, Hey, we got to buy two new stands or, things you need to replace stuff like that and then july it's go time the work the work part of it unfortunately it's always hot but Mm -hmm. just part of it yeah and that's what i was gonna say too is like it it sounds kind of nerdy to like write everything down and all this stuff it sounds like you're back in school and taking notes on whatever but legitimately like it's it's the way to go you just have to write stuff down it just makes your life so much easier and you can take out a notebook and a pencil if you want to but everybody's got an app right on their phone you can pull that out you know you have your map up and then you've got your notes app up and you can just jot down some of these things about you know things that need to be replaced or different notes on different locations things like that i mean writing it down is just such a clutch thing because like you said you're not going to remember it by the time you get back to the truck but if you're out in March and then you're trying to remember something that you discovered in March when it's all of a sudden July, like it, there's just no chance. It's not going to happen. You're going to forget stuff. Not going to remember it all. So plus it allows us to prioritize. Like even, even when we do make these lists, like we will rank them. We'll talk about it and we'll rank them one through whatever, one through five, one through 10, one through 15, whatever we feel like we have to get done. And, because let's just face it, it it is 90 degrees or whatever. And a lot of times we don't get down to the end of the list, but at least if we've ranked and prioritized it and we have purpose to what we're doing, we are getting the main things done that we feel are going to impact us the most in the upcoming season. And if we don't get to number eight, nine, 10, well, so be it. But we've at least prioritized and got the main things done that we wanted to get done because we've taken the time to scout and do those things in March make a list, break down, talk, interact, um, and then come up with what's the priority for us to get done once we are back there again in July. Yeah, 100%. I'd agree. That's the way to go. You got any other questions, so Jake? Th- I think I'm, I'm I'm good. I've got all mine answered. What about you, Colby? You got anything? Oh, I'm good. Good, guys. Uh, just looking forward to uh, – for me, it's, I don't think I'm going to get out here in March. It's going to be more of uh, April, um, but just weather-wise anyway, I think that 
it's just how it's going to line up the best anyways the early part of april for getting out and doing most of the scouting and and then it might just be a short mission and have to get doubled up with some turkey hunting uh <laughs> time's a little bit more of a priority now with uh three kids at home but also sometimes when you're on a property for 16 17 years you don't have to spend as much time figuring it out so right yeah exactly well we've we've been out there a couple times and once again with the weather we're just gonna have to see and try and get out there a bunch more and Mm -hmm. um yeah then before we know it it'll be turkey hunting but before we even start rolling today i mean we already pretty much have a whole nother podcast all outlined and ready to go so we've got a lot more content coming that way and next week we actually have a new guest scheduled somebody who's never been on before somebody who's actually got their own channel um should be a really good time really good guest we're Mm -hmm. really looking forward to that it'll be in studio um we've made the absolute best of it with the technology we've been using here i know it's not perfect there's definitely some some different glitches but it's better than not being able to bring the content so i'm glad we have this capability and we're really glad you were able to join us again colby Betcha. Thanks for having me, guys. I mean, get out there and scout, people. I mean, this is the time of year to learn more about your property, so it can pay uh, big dividends come the fall. So uh, just got to get out of the chair and get out there, strap the boots on and go. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself, and I know Jake <laughs> feels the same exact uh-huh. way. He's itching to go mm-hmm. every single weekend, just can't can't have a weekend on the couch. So nope. Yeah, no, we covered a lot today. It was all really, really good stuff. Take the advice. Get out there. Go scout. It's going to help you in the fall. Um, and at the very least, if you pick the right day, you can have a awesome walk through the woods on a nice day and just enjoy your weekend. So it's all good stuff. And thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for watching. Please, if you get the chance, hit the like button on this video. Um, you know, as always, we appreciate the comments. Um, we really appreciate when you guys subscribe to the channel. If you can do that, it really helps us out. Um, and like we said, we're just going to keep coming back with more and more content for you guys. So thanks again, and we'll see you guys next time.